Hello, emergency medicine enthusiasts. My name is Larissa, and I'm a fourth-year medical student at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Today on EMIGCAST, we would like to draw some attention to 50% of the population and approximately 27% of emergency medicine physicians in the United States, and talk specifically about women in emergency medicine. Gentlemen, just because this is an episode about women in emergency medicine does not give you permission to avoid this particular episode. Stick around, and I guarantee that you will obtain information that will make you a better physician, teacher, and person. As always, if you have comments or questions for us or our guests, contact us on Facebook, our website, or respond to our Reddit post. I'm here today to speak with a physician, researcher, associate professor of emergency medicine, and an influential advocate for women and minorities in emergency medicine, the one and only Dr. Esther Chu. Dr. Chu recently returned to OHSU after working at Brown University. She has contributed several entries to the blog Feminem and has published papers about women in emergency medicine. In August 2017, she tweeted about her experiences with racism in the emergency department, and those tweets were widely shared. Her influential roles include past president of the Academy of Women in Academic Emergency Medicine and associate editor of social media for the Journal of Academic Emergency Medicine. Her research interests include women's health, intimate partner violence, substance abuse disorders, as well as technology-based emergency medicine interventions. Let's see what Dr. Chu can tell us about the female experience as an emergency medicine physician. Dr. Chu, tell me about yourself. How did you find yourself as an EM physician at OHSU? I finished residency at Boston Medical Center, worked at Yale and then at UCSF for a little bit. Um, And then after being out for a couple years, realized that I wanted to go back to some sort of training so that I could do research. And so I I applied around and ended up coming to OHSU in 2007 for a research fellowship. And as part of that experience, I also got my MPH. And what I found was that having that little bit of additional training uh, really made me a great candidate for jobs around the country. I think, you know, everyone tries to find a a little niche within emergency medicine, but if you have specific training, particularly in biostatistics and epidemiology, um, research methodology, then um, then you're really able to take that little bit of skill and be much more productive in your career and contribute much more to your area of expertise. And so um, so we, uh, when my finish, fellowship finished, we ended up uh, heading back east and going to Rhode Island, and I worked at Brown University for a while. And then it just ended up being a good time for my family to move and, uh, and a research spot opened up at Oregon Health and Science, and so we were lucky enough to be able to come back, and now I'm faculty in the Center of Policy and Research here. What does it mean to you to be a woman in emergency medicine? What have been some of your challenges? What sparked your interest in being a champion for women in emergency medicine? Yeah, I came to it slowly. I, um, I always knew that emergency medicine was a pretty male-dominated field, we're relatively young. Um, the field started out very, very male and then gradually has shifted. Um, we're getting pretty close to, uh, to having equal numbers of male and female residents, um, but that's going to change slowly over time. 
Um, what attracted me to emergency medicine was really being at the forefront of, um, of the diagnostic puzzle, um, seeing people at their worst moments, um, really having an opportunity to do uh, rapid, immediate, life-saving things. Um, that, that was the part of medicine that drew me. I also uh, liked both the medicine part and the and the uh, procedural skills. And so it was one of the few specialties where I felt like I, I could have all of that. You know, I could be part of uh, putting the puzzle together. Um, I could do the uh, the medical management, but also get to do some cool procedures. And so, um, and you get to see everybody. You know, there's no sub-segment of the population you see. You see every single person. It's never boring. Um, it's fast-paced. Every day is, is fun. And so those things have really come to fruition. But it, it for sure... Um, it has moments where it, uh, I am reminded that it's um, that it was from the beginning uh, a pretty male-heavy specialty, and I think, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about this when I when I lecture on gender bias. But there are certain qualities that people expect in the emergency center. We call them agentic qualities. You know, you want people to be assertive and commanding um, and very decisive. And uh, we tend to feel uncomfortable with women when they behave that way because they're behaving outside of social convention. Um, and so there are, uh, this is, uh, some research has, re has been published on this, on this recently that when women behave in ways that are needed in the emergency department, um, they are looked at as not uh, behaving the way that women should. So in some ways, you can't quite get it right as a woman in medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're behaving as assertively as, as people think a physician needs to, um, then you're too pushy or bossy as a woman. And so that can really backfire on you. So I think it's a, it's a tough, uh, it's a, a tough thing to, to navigate for women. I think we're, we're figuring out a little bit. And also I think, um, the practice is shifting a little bit. You know, people are sort of understanding that there are different leadership styles, different ways to be effective in the emergency department, but it remains, uh, I would say, uh, just a, uh, a little bit more complicated for, for women in emergency medicine right now. You wrote an article in SAEM titled, The Development of Best Practice Recommendations to Support the Hiring, Recruitment, and Advancement of Women Physicians in Emergency Medicine. Can you summarize your suggestions? Yeah, we had um, a large number of recommendations, but they fell into one of a few domains. So we had some global approaches to, to supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in emergency medicine. And then we talked about some specific things that would help recruitment, hiring, and compensation be e equal. And those were things like having salary audits um, just to make sure that there was no um, disparity that crept in. We had some recommendations that had to do with the development and advancement of women and making sure they had networking and mentoring opportunities. Um, and then we talked about physician health and wellness, and that's um, largely things that support people around the times of family leave and enable them to come back to work and tra transition back into uh, being a productive faculty member. Um, and so those were the basic domains, and I think you know, I think we had heard for a long time from female physicians that they they wanted to be able to go into a job and see, is this a good place for me to work? But they didn't even know what criteria at all to use when judging a place. Mm -hmm. um, and so we hope to sort of give them a framework. Like, 
ask about things in these general domains um, and see if they have an answer. You know, one good sign is that they've thought through these areas. Maybe they don't have the perfect answer, but they have sort of thought through all these different ways in which they need to make sure that they're hiring practices are equitable, that they move people forward and support people equitably, um, that they have acknowledged the complexities of trying to be a parent and a physician, and that they have something in place to try to support their physicians through that, that they recognize that maternity leave is something that happens that is natural when you're hiring a bunch of young physicians, um, maternity leave and paternity leave, um, that some people might need lactation facilities, you know. So we sort of laid out you know, they're not super prescriptive. They, um, you know, we understand that there's different sizes of hospitals, that facilities have different resources and capacities, that it's, some things are harder than others. Um, but we just laid out some general ideas within general domains so that departments could start thinking through these issues and have a structure for it. And then also physicians felt empowered um, and had some tools to use as they considered their, their own workplaces and try to figure out whether uh, they were likely to thrive there. Of your suggestions, which do you consider the most pressing to address, and why? That's a tough one because I believe in all these domains. Um, I do think that salary equity is one that we keep on coming back to because it is so concrete, so um, so easy to measure as a metric. It's so actionable, and we also think that most departments no matter what their size or the you know their budgets or their or the resources available to them should be able to you know periodically do an objective salary audit and try to figure out if they're paying people um, if they're paying if, if any bias has snuck into the way that they compensate people I feel like that is um you know while all these things are important and while I think you know we can't get women into emergency medicine unless uh, unless they're being supported at every level you know recruited the same and given the same opportunities for advancement included in key opportunities um, given uh, support and feedback and mentorship and sponsorship the way that um, the way that men are um, I do think this salary one uh, is is accessible to us and is also um, is also something that almost everybody intuitively agrees should not be there if a female physician in emergency medicine finds out that she's getting paid less than a male physician at the same position at the same level, how should she go about addressing that? I think she should take it to her boss. Um, I think we tend to shy away from these discussions, and it drives it underground and also somehow makes it a bigger deal. You know, in my experiences in different departments, what I've found most often when I bring up a, an issue of inequity is that the first response is, oh my gosh, we didn't mean for that to happen. You know, I, I think these things truly are unconscious um, and that they, they sneak in kind of against our will. Um, and, you know, just like cognitive biases in medicine. You know, when we make these mistakes when we approach patients because we make a ton of assumptions um, and we kind of, you know, we, we make these quick decisions and we, and we take quick actions um, and a lot of biases can creep into that. Um, and we're constantly on our guard in the clinical setting. You know, I don't want to just assume this about this patient because he's drunk. You know, I'm not going to assume that nothing medically is wrong with him because he's drunk. Um, we, we are constantly putting little forcing strategies. And I think the same thing needs to happen to bias. I think we want to be like, you know, it is totally possible that bias has crept into any of these dozens of decisions I made today. Mm -hmm. You know, who I'm inviting on my research team, who I decided to put in as first author or as, you know, as second author, um, you know, who I decided to 
uh, free up some funds so that they can do this, uh, take on this responsibility. Who I listed as first, second, and third for this new leadership position. I think we just need to be on our guard and sort of say, wait a second, did I consider, you know, did I consider all the options? Was there any bias that might have crept into this decision making? Um, so, um, so I think um, I think people most of the time. Uh, it's just helpful for someone to bring it up and say, you know what I noticed? We just had this grant that we worked on together, and so everybody's salary was visible, and I noticed that my exact peer who graduated at the same time, who has a similar resume, who came in with the same um, qualifications, that we have different salaries. And I was just wondering you know, whether that was something that could be corrected. So I think being as open and transparent. And then obviously if that first line, you know, just having the same open, positive conversation with your boss doesn't work, then I think it might be time to consider bringing in, you know, an, an outsider, an objective outsider, an ombudsman or um, uh, somebody from the medical school or from the hospital who might be able to uh, to help negotiate that conversation. Um, but it's uh, it has to be a conversation, otherwise nothing can change. In the U.S., 35% of all physicians are women, whereas 27% of emergency medicine physicians are women. Why do you think that this discrepancy exists? I think there might still be this lingering reputation of emergency medicine as kind of this testosterone-fueled cowboy practice. I think that's changing, um, but there there may be some you know still some lingering perception. And then I think a lot is what you have is what you get. You know, so if you look at a website and you're like let's see who's in this department or, you know, let's see who's in this specialty or you just, you know, you're looking up the stuff about emergency medicine, chances are the people in charge of whatever it is that you're looking at are men. That's just like the reality of it. Um, I mean, we have a overall 27% statistic, but um, the most visible people are male because the leadership positions go disproportionately to men still. Um, and so I think the the visible face of emergency medicine is still largely male and we are changing that every year. It seems to be changing. Um, ASAP this year, uh, the American College of Emergency Physicians has uh, every year committed to having an increased percentage of female speakers at their national conference. I think they actually have a target of 50%. And so, and that has changed visibly over the past five years. And so um, I think the face of emergency medicine to young people, you know, growing up and considering a field in it, um, that, that, first visible look at the specialty will begin to look more and more female to them. But I think it has been male, you know, and I think mentors are a huge part of this. Role models are a huge part of this. If, if there are no female mentors or role models, I think there is something that happens subconsciously that makes you think, I don't see a lot of females going there, therefore there's no path for me there. Um, or the path is likely to be hard. Um, so you maybe tend not to see yourself in that, in that position. Let's debunk some common myths that women considering emergency medicine might hear. I'll make a statement and you tell me in a few sentences why it's false. Number one, emergency medicine is not a family-friendly specialty. I agree and I disagree. Um, as a mom, I love that I can go to anything. So, and I have tremendous flexibility. So, uh, you know, I can, there's no daytime activity that I can't make it to if I block it out ahead of time. Um, you know, we, we work all these odd hours, which means that we're free often, you know, when we want to be. And you can always swap out of your shift. I find that emergency physicians are naturally generous about trying to cover each other's time. So we can almost always find a way to be at important stuff. Um, and I, I love that as a parent. Um, uh, but on the flip side, 
the overnights, the weekends, and the holidays never go away. And your your families really want you around during those times. So I think it, it can be both really great um, and really tough um, if you're uh, if you have a family. But uh, but I I do find that I mean right now my kids are really young and I've templated to all overnights. So I basically go to work while they're sleeping and then I'm around during the daytime whenever they need me to be. And so that is um, it's a hundred percent great for my family right now. Number two. Fewer women want leadership positions in emergency medicine. The contention that women simply don't want leadership positions in medicine in general comes up every now and then. It really flows to the surface where people say, I think women just don't want things like salary promotion or leadership positions. And and yet when you ask women about their ambitions and their desire to move forward, um, they say yes just as much as men do. And there are certainly people, both men and and women, who don't want to advance to these leadership positions, which is a good and healthy thing. Not everybody can be a leader, but um, but certainly by the numbers, by the women I've spoken to, I think the ambition doesn't seem to be a gender-specific thing. I think we all want to move forward. We all want to be supported and valued and appropriately compensated. Number three, women find that the fast-paced environment of the emergency department is less appealing. I think that's false. Um, and I think you can talk to any woman in emergency medicine, and I think the, we have the same reaction to the fast pace as anybody else. We uh, went into it because we love it and we thrive in it. So I certainly think that there's people of either gender who would not be happy in the emergency department because they don't have the slower pace that they want, but that is, that is not true for, uh, as a rule. According to a 2016 Medscape article, 63% of female emergency medicine physicians say that if they could start over, that they would do medicine again. But only 49% say that they would choose emergency medicine again. Do you have any ideas why this might be? I can guess. Um, that is a fascinating statistic and definitely worth some more exploration. Um, I would love to follow that up with a qualitative st- survey to explore what we might find there. Um, I do think that, as I mentioned before, that emergency medicine remains challenging for women um, who, as they progress through their careers. You know, so I think in residency you don't feel any of the gender inequity. Um, and I I've, uh, often, when I'm speaking to, resi- to residents, they haven't really noticed that there's an issue. Um, some have. Some have started to, f- to feel it in their evaluations. Um, and in the feedback that they're getting, and there's actually published objective data that emergency medicine residents get very different feedback and evaluations depending on if they're men or if they're women. So some residents feel it, but for the most part, I think you're just focused on your training and you haven't you know, had a chance to, to really look at things from that light. But the minute you get out and you start negotiating for a job, I think that's when it hits most people, that there are differences for, for men and for women. And then the issue is um, we are now having a, a, a young workforce coming forward that's you know more and more equal men and women, but there's really no pa- uh, established path for women as they go through their careers and become senior physicians. It's it's or I'll say it's established, but it's this tiny little path, you know. And so I think for for men, there's kind of like a well-established path of mentorship and um, sponsorship and advancement and success. 
And for women, you have to kind of hunt and find those those people who have gone beyond the associate professor level or have gone to these really high levels of uh, leadership, um, like being a set president or being a vice chair or a chair. I mean, those women are few and far between. Um, and you go into other areas of leadership, like being, you know, say EMS director or um, or fellowship directors, things like that. And and really the the women there um, in some subspecialties within emergency medicine are really hard to find. And so you still have this feeling that you're navigating uh, a really rough path. Maybe it's not completely, you know, you're not completely trailblazing. There have been the trailblazers, but that path is not well-worn. And so I think that can be a really psychologically tough moment right at the period where your entire life is getting much more complicated, you know? And so it's like you're graduating from residency, you're interviewing for jobs, uh, you have two boards ahead of you, maybe you're starting a young family, um, you're trying to establish your niche and your reputation and be, and ramp up your productivity now that you're no longer in residency. And then on top of that, there's this kind of uncertain path. Not a lot of women have really, you know, have really gone um, beyond uh you know, having like a, a positive trajectory beyond their mid-careers. And actually, if you chart it out in almost any category of, of how we define success in, in academic emergency medicine, women tend to plateau, you know, around their mid-career. Um, so uh, for men, the trajectory is kind of linear and upward. And for women, whether you're talking about, you know, promotion to a higher rank or promotion to some of these um, top leadership fields or, or even acceleration of your salary... Uh, women sort of like, you know, are they kind of keeping up with men, maybe just a little bit behind until mid-career, and then they start to taper off. And so um, that can be tough to see. Um, it can also be, uh, you know, it's kind of a big ask to say, yeah, we haven't, not a lot of you have done it, but you guys are the ones that are going to do it. You know, keep up the trajectory, like, you know, find a way to accelerate your careers and, and to change that, that, that line, that tapering off line that we're seeing. And so I think it can be uh, it can be a tough message to hear when you're starting out and nothing has ever slowed your path before because they're all, you know, you're all successful and energetic and, you know, um, you got into a, you know, you're applying into a competitive specialty of medicine. You've pretty much everybody has just done well with no barriers up, up until this point. And then all of a sudden, thunk, you know, you, you sort of hit that wall. So I, I wonder if that's something that women are feeling when they answer this and say, oh, I'm not sure that I would have done it. Yeah, maybe I would have done a specialty where, uh, where all the trailblazing has been done already. In your opinion, what are the greatest challenges that women in EM face? I think there's the challenges and the opportunities are the same. I mean, the thing I like about emergency medicine is that we're doers. You know, we see problems and then we tackle them. And so I find that emergency medicine physicians, compared to other specialties, tend to be very aggressive about problems that we see, whether we're talking about problems clinically and, and needing to find a solution to that. I think we've been really on top of figuring out systems things that, you know, that create boarding in the emergency department, for, for example. Um, we've been really innovative with our practice. We're very um, quick to adopt new practices when there's when there's early evidence. You know, I think we're early adopters across the board. So, when I look at the conversation that's happening around happening around gender bias, I'm very proud of that in our specialty. I think um, hearing from my colleagues across the country, there are fields where you they they can't even begin the conversation. You know, and we begin the conversation, and there's all kinds of you know, it's like a 
a brawl every time with people all across the spectrum talking about how they agree with one part or don't agree with one part, you know, believe that gender bias exists to this extent or to that extent. You know, we talk about all kinds of solutions and people, you know, people get upset about different things, but we're having the dialogue. You know, we're having it every single day. Um, and I also feel like people are tremendously open about reaching out to me and, and a few others around the country who have really established ourselves as being interested in this area. I see a lot of younger physicians reaching out and being like, um, I'm starting to see this in my group, and I'd like to do something about it. Can you help us? Or I just want to tell you about something that I did that really made me feel empowered. And so, um, you know, I just think that this is just, it's at people's fingertips, you know. Um, so I think, uh, I think this is... The gender disparities in emergency medicine are clearly there, um, but we're talking about it like nobody else. And so I think this represents an opportunity for our specialty uh, to really distinguish itself. How do you deal with patients who doubt your medical abilities because you are a woman? Yeah, you know, that's a daily occurrence. So I think there's in my there's a couple of women's groups that I'm part of in emergency medicine. Uh, one is called Feminem, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and uh, and there's one that's called EM Physician Moms. I think is that group. But we uh, the the story that you walk into a room and somebody and you talk to a patient for a long time and you tell them about their diagnosis and their treatment plan and ask if they have any questions and you're in there forever trying to be the best doctor ever and you walk out and they say that was the that was such a nice nurse like that's a universal thing and a frequent occurrence um, I don't think there's a, a practicing emergency medicine uh, female physician who who hasn't had that happen many 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 times over, and so I think uh, you know a lot of us have developed these these coping strategies. So I say doctor three times in the first sentence. So I say, hi, my name's Esther Chu. I'm the attending doctor on today, the doctor in charge, and um, I am the doctor who will be taking care of you. And so and then I pull out my badge where it says MD. Um, and we have a board here at OHSU where it says, you know, doctor team, and I point to that too and say, that's me. And so the patient has heard doctor three times, and they've seen my badge. And so when I do that, I find that people do, don't mistake me as a nurse. But I've tried it lots of different ways, and you can't say doctor once, you can't say it twice. You actually need to say it three times in the first sentence, um, and a visual helps. And so that's my way of of kind of nipping it in the bud before they start to assume that I'm the nurse. Um, other people will just kind of react after the fact and be like, why did you think that I was your nurse? You know, and try to have a little teaching moment like, you know that women can also be doctors now. <laughs> they can even be the doctor. But I think it's so common, it's hard to get mad about it. Every time you just realize that that is a common conceptual bias that patients come in with, that their doctor is going to be male and that their nurses are going to be female, um, particularly older patients, and that um, that you, you will encounter it. And you can either prophylax like I do, or you can try to have a teaching moment afterward. Here are the characteristics of the average woman emergency medicine physician in the U.S. They are more likely to be younger than other female physicians, they are more likely to be single, and they are more likely to be white. Does this sound accurate to you? Yeah, that's believable. I mean, we are such a young specialty still, you know, so we've only been around for, I think, coming up on 40 years. And so, uh, and like I said, you know, it was, it started as a pretty male field. So I think we are a little bit late to bringing women in, although there have been women there since the beginning. And so I think there's really been an influx of women in past years. So I believe that we still trend a little bit younger. Um, I can't really speak to the single part of that. Um, maybe, maybe 
emergency women physicians are intimidating to date, but I'm not sure. Um, and then, you know, the the race question is an interesting one, and I will say we're grappling with this as a specialty because if you look at it from the perspective of uh, who are the patients that we treat and should our physicians match our patients, I mean, we see the most diverse patient population of any specialty. Uh, we see everybody, and, uh, you know, it's really a microcosm of our communities and of the United States. Um, and so uh, you would think that a really diverse body of physicians would be drawn to that specialty. Uh, but it's true, we we still struggle to recruit uh, physicians of, uh, of underrepresented racial and ethnic minorities um, in addition to women. And, um, and I think, you know, this is, this is so a topic of conversation that ASEP has initiated task forces um, around diversity and inclusion with the premise that having a more diverse workforce is a better business model for us that'll actually make us more effective, more productive, more able to to connect to our patients and provide culturally competent care, um, also more able to address the wide spectrum of issues that we have to deal with in our clinical practice, and so, um, and, and, and more able to advocate for them on a national level for, for all of our patients and all of the issues that we encounter. And so diversity is a high priority. So I'm serving on this task force, and we've just been together uh, for one year, and, um, and we're basically in exploration stage. You know, what are the barriers to attracting a more diverse uh, physician body? Some of that starts in medical school. I mean, we struggle with getting medical school more diverse, um, and then we draw from that, and in some ways we're competing with all the specialties to really develop a diverse physician body, but certainly there's a drop-off in diversity, particularly, raci particularly racial and ethnic diversity. We're not even scratching the surface with other types of diversity. You know, we also want diversity in, um, you know, in religious backgrounds, in country of origin, in sexual orientation, in gender identity. There are just so many, you know, in, in socioeconomic backgrounds. There's so many types of diversity that, um, that we should have uh, if we're really going to take care of everybody. But we're, uh, we're at the beginning stage of that, and hopefully that'll be something that we can affect change in over the next five to ten years. Why do you think there are fewer women of color in emergency medicine? It might be similar to what we talked about with women choosing emergency medicine, that the face of emergency medicine is not super diverse, and it's just something that's been there from the beginning. So again, if you pull up pictures of our national leadership teams, they tend to be pretty homogeneous, at least on the face of it. Um, you know, of course, you get to know them, and you're like, wow, the people are really different from one another, you know? Like, there's a lot of heterogeneity even within a single uh, racial ethnic group or gender. However, on the face of it, um, you know, you would think traditionally that this is a specialty for white men. And, of course, there's there's zero reason, you know, just from your clinical practice perspective that that would be true. So I, I think it will, um, and once again, you know, you get what you have when it comes to re physician recruitment. So I, I think it's something that we really need to start on the ground with, you know, even, I think like you can't start too early, you know, I think if we, if we were to do outreach to pre-medical students, you know, in addition to medical students and really start planting the seed that emergency medicine is a great specialty. Mm -hmm. So I have an opportunity um, in a couple of weeks to go out and talk to one of our local high schools and talk to them about health professional careers. And I'm so excited because I get to go talk to them as, as a, you know, as a minority woman. Mm -hmm. And just the idea of being able to reach people at that stage when they're just starting to formulate the idea of themselves as professional people I think that will probably have more impact than any of the talking that I do to people who are, you know, who are maybe even in college or, or in medical school. 
what could women in emergency medicine do to enhance their own professional development? I think early on you find your tribe. So I think uh, I think people can be really hesitant to reach out to people that they admire looking for mentorship. Um, I think it's the single most influential thing that you can do is find a good mentor. And that process takes work. You know, you don't just like walk up to the first person, ask them to be your mentor, and then you're done. Um, I think of it a lot like dating. You have to look for fit, you know, and there has to be a certain amount of chemistry and common interest um, and you, you know, you have to develop enough of a relationship that person gets invested in you. Um, and that can usually start with a project or service on a committee or, you know, some common goal that you work towards together and get to know people. But I think, um, I think women uh, starting from medical school um, should start to explore the people who would be good fits for them as mentors um, and then take steps to get to know them. Um, and then, you know, and then be very explicit about what they're looking for. Um, and some people won't have the time or capacity or interest to do it, and then you move on and try to find another one. But, um, but having a mentor who has pursued the kind of career path that you think that you are interested in, you know, and, and it, it, things can change, and maybe that person isn't a great fit later on, but um, for whatever stage you're at, finding an appropriate mentor who can really guide you and push you and connect you to other people in the field is invaluable. And almost everything that I've done in my career, I can trace back to a very influential mentor. So I think that's one of the other things. And then, you know, I think the other thing that uh, that helps me every single day is having peer mentors. So, you know, I have my senior mentors who I touch base with maybe on a monthly basis. And they're super busy and accomplished people. Um, sometimes it's people I talk to maybe twice a year. Um, and I have different mentors for different purposes. I have general career advice mentors. I have research mentors. Um, they're male and they're female. Um, you can't, you know, it's not not just about getting mentorship from other women. Um, but my peer mentors I talk to on almost daily basis, and those are other women at my stage of career who are sort of struggling through similar things. Um, and all of us kind of bring different strengths to the table. You know, so some of us are a little bit better at negotiating. Others are kind of better at focusing um, and developing a niche area or whatever. Um, and there's kind of this fluid group of peer mentors. Um, a lot of mine are in research, since I'm also a woman in research. And my peer mentors tend to be almost all women. Um, there's a few men, but the women I find are, uh, have the same interactions at work and face the same challenges. And we're trying to figure out as a body, how do we mid-career women move on to the next stage of our career successfully? Because there isn't just a huge cohort of women who have done that. Um, and the peer mentorship, I think, sustains me on a day-to-day -day basis, like a daily meal, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and that is something you can set up at any time. You know, one of my peer mentors, um, who's also a mentor, mentor, I guess, is somebody I went to college with. You know, and then we went to medical school together. Um, and then she's just become one of the most successful women in emergency medicine. But she is um, somebody who is like just great for like really incisive advice on almost any issue. So these relationships can last a lifetime and and really help you keep your sanity in tough times. As a woman applying to emergency medicine residencies, what kinds of things could I do to overcome some of the inherent biases, such as the biases present in letters of recommendation or during the interview process? Yeah, this is a, it's a tough question because, uh, you know, if you were negotiating for a, a different type of job where you had lots of options, let's say like down the road when you're applying for your, your 
um, your job as an attending. I would say that these things need to be out in the open, you know, that I think when you're going for a job job, not a residency job, you need to say, I'm well aware of gender bias and how it might play a role, um, and I really want to know how you're addressing that as, as this institution. I think the power dynamic feels a little bit different when you're applying for residency, right? Because it's a match, um, and it's uh, it's so competitive, and there's so many people vying for these top spots, and I think people feel like, I just don't want to say the wrong thing, um, particularly if a program is really not ready to have that conversation. So I think you can ask some things around um, around gender when you go into a program that are welcome. Like, I think uh, no program will be offended if you ask, you know, um, uh, I'm just really interested to get some time with female residents and just know how the program has been for them, you know? I think um, it's harder to bring up gender bias explicitly sometimes, um, but I think you can ask for time with female residents and really get their perspective about how is it on a day-to-day -day basis in the emergency department, you know, as a woman? Do you ever feel these experiences of um, that I read about, you know, where, where females can get consistent feedback? I think you can ask those questions pretty frankly. But I think face-to-face -face time with female, the female residents um, is key. Um, I think it also is perfectly fair to ask about uh, how they've handled issues like uh, maternity leave among their residents. It might be something to ask again to other residents mm -hmm. um, and just see um, see how they're hand handling family leave. Um, I think that's an important question for anybody to ask, um, no matter where you are. But I also think, um, I think some things are actually totally in your control. So if you get a letter of recommendation and you feel that it is biased, um, that it maybe mentions sort of classically female qualities, I think you can talk to your letter writer and just see if they could beef up statements that have to do more with your um, with your accomplishments, with your um, with your ability to get things done. You know, with your assertiveness. There's actually a, a published list out there of the the characteristics people use to describe women mm -hmm. in letters of recognition and characteristics used to describe men. And men are basically praised for for their accomplishments, and women are praised for their personal qualities. And um, this was something I always dreaded when I asked for letters of recommendation, is that people would talk about how nice I was. Um, I had this whole like moment in my life where I tried really hard not to be nice, because I just didn't want that to be my only, my defining quality, because it's such a generic compliment, you know? And yet, in many of my letters of recommendation, um, there was like a whole paragraph always about my interpersonal qualities and how warm and nice I was. And, you know, those are important qualities. But in truth, when you're going to pick somebody to work in the emergency department um, and, and you want them to be effective, what you want here is that they're assertive and outspoken and decisive and, you know, they can get stuff done, they can multitask and they're efficient. And I needed those qualities to be in the letter. And I think just naturally people don't put them in for women. So I think um, I think reviewing letters and um, if you have a good relationship with your letter writer mm -hmm. and you feel confident otherwise about the quality of letters, you could just say, I'm just concerned that um, these things aren't apparent in my letter. Could you you know, could you consider adding some of them if you feel that they're true and see if you can tweak your letter. Um, if, if I got that feedback from a student I wouldn't, that I wrote a positive letter for, I wouldn't hesitate to change it. So I think there, there are little ways that, um, that you can address it um, on this side of things. I think going into the interview, there's just a lot of your spidey sense that you have to, you know, that you have to obey. I think there'll be some programs where you can really discuss it freely, where the Faculty and the residents are really um, open to discussing issues of gender. Um, I know if a resident came here and asked me how it is for women, I probably wouldn't be able to get them out of the door in less than two hours. Um, 
mostly positive things, of course, but just sort of talking about the things that can creep in in emergency medicine. I think there's other programs where it's just not been on the table, um, where people may want to tread more lightly um, and maybe ask more questions face-to-face with residents rather than during their formal interviews. So that's the reality of it. I wish I could say, just walk in and talk about it freely and be very open about your concerns. I think that probably... um, Probably people who are involved with uh, emergency medicine residency interviewing more intimately than I am would just probably you know caution you against uh, against being super assertive with those questions from the outset before you've kind of got the temperature of the program. It seems like all women physicians have faced numerous examples of unfair treatment from patients or even colleagues. What are some memorable sexist comments or experiences that you have faced from patients or even members of the medical profession? Yeah, there's two that I always bring up that have stayed with me. Uh, One is from somebody I admire uh, who's involved in national, uh, a national organization in emergency medicine. And I was talking about a major leadership position and not even with respect to myself. I was just sort of talking about the challenges of running for that position. And this physician asked me about my personal life and I mentioned that I have four kids. And he said, well, obviously, you could never go for that position. And I felt like it's not your call to make. It's my call. Um, You know nothing about my personal life or, you know, what I have going on at home. I thought it was... um, I thought it was paternalistic, you know, that he was saying, well, I know what you need, and I'm, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have you do that. I wouldn't recommend that you do it, um, it could, because I know what's best for you since you're a mom of four. Um, and I thought it was, I just thought it was inappropriate in so many counts, but it also it kind of woke me to the way that women can be just systematically discouraged from doing things um, simply because she bears children or has the potential to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that was one moment. And then another thing is uh, something that happens on a fairly regular basis uh, that I know doesn't happen to my male colleagues. So I'll walk into, I'll run into a colleague, and they'll say, how are things going? And I'll be in the middle of a grant writing cycle, um, which always feels crazy in the last couple of weeks. And I'll be like, it is so crazy. I'm not sleeping. I have to go work a shift, and then I'll be up forever. And people will almost universally say, oh, my gosh, you have so much going on at home. I don't know how you're juggling being a mom and a doctor. And, and I'll be like, I, I was talking about my research work. Like, my research work is so crazy. Why did you assume that I was talking about juggling life as a mother and a physician? So um, when I give talks about this kind of motherhood, there's kind of this motherhood penalty where people kind of assume that you're less ca- competent and capable and committed, um, kind of less worthy as, a, as, a, as an employee if you're a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel that all the time where people kind of downgrade me because I'm a mom. At first, I must be completely consumed with my responsibilities as a mom. And second, that I'm somehow not up for the task at work because I'm a mom. Um, and I, I kind of feel that sneaking in in many different ways. Um, so it's not a single interaction. It's more like this repeated, constant interaction. Um, and, uh, and that I find... I find worrisome. So the the joke that I give is that I I almost never mention my kids when, especially when I'm talking to people I don't know. So if I'm giving a lecture in an outside place, I don't put up that slide of my family. Um, So I I try to pretend like I don't have kids. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never even touched a child. I don't think about children. (laughs) You know, I try to pretend like 
Um, kids are the last thing in my mind because the minute you mention them, then people assume that it's all consuming for you and you can do nothing else. Um, and so I, I think I think that's the kind of day-to-day sexism we face um, and that that can be really discouraging for women. Dr. Chu, thank you so much for interviewing with eMigCast today. Emergency medicine needs more women like you to combat inequalities that continue to be problematic, not solely in emergency medicine, but throughout the medical field. Any last advice for women interested in emergency medicine? I would say consider getting involved in one of these great women's uh, women in emergency medicine groups early on. One of the best outputs of the last 10 years um, has been how much these groups are flourishing. So ASEP has AWEP. Um, SAM has AWEM. Um, my friend Derek Hass has started this great group called Feminem. There's, um, there's more and more support for women in emergency medicine, I think, by, by getting to know each other and working our way through co- common challenges. We're really strengthening um, our ability to move forward and have great careers. Thanks for having me.